This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 82 for Sunday 24th of February 2019. I'm Jeremy Sear and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's been happening to our country and what's likely to happen and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest host is a returning guest host. It's my wife, Denise Pierco. Welcome Hello. back. Hello. Hello. Lots to get through and uh, it is Sunday morning and we have a brief window uh, between small people who turn overly sympathetic to podcasting. Or sleeping. What is sleeping? I remember that fondly. But look, I have I have some good news about the podcast, which is uh, we have a new sponsor. Really? Admittedly, it's indirect and it's more in terms of providing the infrastructure that we need that the podcast can take place. So obviously, in order for the podcast to take place, you need to have public services, uh, you need to have mm-hmm. um, infrastructure, you need to have the electricity markets managed, you need to, you need to have you know, roads, you need to have education and health so that you know, people can... An NBS. Uh, yes, yes. So, insofar as this federal government has assisted with that, all these things, the infrastructure that's necessary for the podcast to happen, and a lot of that is from public services funded by the federal government. Except it's not the federal government. It turns out that it's all Georgina Downer. What? So, we'd like to thank Georgina Downer, uh, the Liberal candidate for mayor. She lost a by election recently, but she's still the Liberal candidate for mayor. And it turns out that when the federal government spends money through the, you know, it's an allocation from the taxpayer funds to through the public service to wherever it's going to be spent, it turns out that's actually from the Liberal Party and more specifically Georgina Downer. Did you know this? I, I didn't know that. That that's really good to know though. Well the Yang... Do we apply for her do we apply to her directly for funds? I think she's just happy if we thank her. Oh, okay. Well and, and obviously exhort our listeners to vote for Georgina Downer, Liberal candidate for the the South Australian seat of Mayo. She is a woman who's actually the entire entire Australian well, everything that relies on on the government is apparently through her. It's very exciting. Look at look at this look at this giant check that she's got for, to give one hundred twenty seven thousand three hundred seventy three dollars to the Yankalilla Bowling Club. Now that money is actually coming from the taxpayers, but the giant check says Georgina Downer, Liberal for Mayo, with a big Liberal Party logo. It's got the Yankalilla Bowling Club Inc. on the as the payee. Mm-hmm. It's got the figure written out in uh, text and then uh, numbers and the date. And at the bottom, it's got uh, her campaign phone number and her website address. Um, so that... So where does it have the federal government logo on Nowhere it? on there, no. It's entirely Georgina Downer, Liberal for Mayo. Oh, now, but it's taxpayer money. Yeah, but, but you can assume that because that, that's, why we, that's why when a party wins government, from then on, all of the things that come from the government have that party logo on them. Oh, of course. That's, that's right. It's, we don't actually have a Commonwealth government that, that, that administers our funds. Yes, we do. Do we? Oh, I thought we just had a Liberal government then all of our money belonged to the Liberal Party now and so the Liberal Party gets to dole it out and we've, we're very grateful that the Liberal Party is daring to keep some of our roads going but thank you to the Liberal Party, not to taxpayers. No. We, we owe the Liberals but they no, are... No, that's wrong, Jeremy. What? That's wrong. It's actually the taxpayer money 
through the federal government that that Liberal Party makes up, but it is the federal government. That should be the federal government logo on that. That should be a federal government representative. We but, have like a coat of arms and, and all sorts of symbols that represent our government. But if there was a difference between the federal government and the Liberal Party, then that check would be a staggering... Uh, well, at, at the very least, Defoe Park is very very impolite to dishonestly claim credit for funds that uh, for for a gift that is actually from somebody else and pretend. Especially with a novelty check. I know. If you can't respect, rely on truth in novelty checks, where what is what is the nation coming to? So wait a minute. You're saying that uh, I just assumed that Georgina Downer, who was giving out all this money, suddenly had access to the entire treasury and that all of that money was now hers that she would then dole out. And so I thought that she was. Ne- we, we should now be very kind to her so that she can throw some of that taxpayer cash our way as a benevolent gift from Georgina Downer. No, I, I don't think that's how it works. Weirdly, she's not actually the... When it says Georgina Downer, Liberal for Mayo, she's only a candidate. Yeah. Um, Rebecca Sharkey from the old Xenophon team, that, the, which is now sort of imploded and changed. Yeah. But anyway, she's the local MP. Normally this stuff would go through a local MP if it was from the federal government rather yes, than from exactly. the Liberal Party. Um, so how would that check be different if it was the Liberal Party giving that $127,000 on behalf of Georgina Downer, Liberal for Mayo? I think it would read exactly the same if it was the Liberal Party giving that money, except it's not the Liberal Party giving that money, it's the government giving that money. So that seems like a strange conflict of interest or improper use of taxpayer funds. There's... Well, I don't, can't you push that back? Because I thought, I thought, so wherever that money came from, whichever uh, department has sort of allocated it, surely that money goes through the public service, which is which has to be apolitical. And how on earth did it then go to Georgina Downer to give a giant knowledge yeah. check? Normally when money also goes to these sorts of organisations, it's also branded for whatever department gave it. So if it's the Department of Transport or if it's the Department of Education or if it's some government fund, like say it's, you know, the... 2022 fund or I'm just making things up it would have that logo on it as well so it would be able to be identified it's a bit weird isn't it all right well let's let's move on from Georgina well no actually let's have a chat because she's at least out there fighting fighting the good fight fighting for average ordinary everyday Australians like well according to this advertisement Jim 72 south coast retiree would you like to hear about what he's he's upset about I would Bill Shorten's retirement tax is is hopeless for us people living in South Australia. And a lot of people, my friends included, we rely on our stocks and shares and the dividends we get from them. Bill Shorten is taking that away from them. It's double taxation. Some of us will be up to seven or eight thousand dollars a year. And we're not major beneficiaries of stocks and shares. We're, we're people that are only just earning above what would be the pension age. And yet we're going to lose that. It's going to hurt us. And Bill Shorten hasn't thought about the people who have worked hard and he's taken away the certainty and now we're not quite sure what's going to happen in the future. That's one of the reasons why I'll be voting for the Federal Liberal Government at this election. There are thousands of people here in Mayo who will be affected by Bill Shorten's retiree tax. This is a grossly unfair tax that goes about ripping money out of the pockets of retirees who've worked really hard to prepare for their retirement. I'm working really hard to ensure the re-election of the federal Liberal government so that we can stop Bill Shorten's retiree tax. Authorised by S. Meldrum for the Liberal Party Adelaide. Have you noticed that um, white privileged people who are doing largely superfluous jobs are really keen for us to believe that they work really hard? Like they said work really hard three times that The people who have worked hard. Retirees who've worked really hard. 
I'm working really hard. Because obviously the only way that you might have wealth is by working really hard, particularly people who are gaining their wealth from just sitting on shit that they own. Keep in mind that this income is not income that they get from doing work. It's income they have because they own but stuff. they worked hard to buy those things, to own that stuff. Did they, um, though? And there was never any sort of systemic privilege that they had, no inheritances they got, no idea that they bought housing when the market was actually not broken and were able to afford it. Not, none of that. I know. They worked really hard to own houses before they before the housing inflation. Yeah. Well, it's that horrible myth. It's that horrible Protestant work ethic myth that if you are successful, you deserve it. And if you are unsuccessful, you deserve that. Yeah, it's the way of justifying your privilege. It's like yes. I must, I must be a good person to deserve this. Otherwise, otherwise, why do I have this? And that isn't people to say they it. didn't work hard. That isn't to say that people who have these privileges didn't work hard in their lives. They didn't work harder than than a lot of the people who don't have exactly. Them, right? But they had privileges that gave them a foot up. Yeah, I don't think any of these people worked harder than somebody who is you know working as a cleaner. No, and, and earning a tiny or somebody working at muffin break. Um, we can deal with muffin break later. So. Jim72 is Jim Bonner, uh, who was a press secretary for Malcolm Fraser. He uh, held senior positions with the ABC uh, before returning to Liberal ranks. He was the South Australian State Director of the party from 98 to 2001. His other roles include press secretary for South Australian Premier Dean Brown, Federal Defence Minister Ian McLaughlin in the 90s, media liaison for federal, multiple federal Liberal uh, coalition election campaigns, and recently as a staffer for Liberal Cabinet Minister Simon Birmingham. So... It's, you know, I, I have loved how, in relation to all of this retiree tax bullshit, the only people the Libs can find who, who we are willing to stand up and spout this nonsense as if it were affecting them directly are actual Liberal Party hacks and operatives. Because you know all the other... All, pretty much all the campaigns they've found... They, they've got their hypothetical ones in the Daily Telegraph, uh, mm. which turn out to be really unsympathetic. Yes. If you look at how much, how much wealth you would need to be making seven or $8,000 a year... Seven or eight thousand dollars a year from imputation tax credits. So that means that your dividends are probably three or four times as much as that. Yeah. And that means your shareholding must be huge. Yes. In addition to all the assets you almost certainly own, because you're not going to be doing those investments while still paying rent. So you almost certainly own at least your own home. Yes. So you're, the, this this nonsense about oh, but but I basically just just like a, a pensioner. No. No, if you are getting a pension, it's by dodgy tax rorts where you're yeah. reducing your tax income and not only are you getting all these privileges, you're also getting to pay for a pension. And that's the thing, like if they're withdrawing money from their shares, it's a very minor amount. And it's tax-free because they're retirees. But they're not. They don't have to. This is the point. This is yeah. Their income is their income is all tax-free and it's on, uh, on the investment income. And that's their whole thing. Their whole thing is we shouldn't have to dig into our vast asset wealth. Yeah. We should be able to sit on this vast asset wealth until we die. Yeah. And we shouldn't ever have to dig into it. And you guys should be paying us money so that we can sit on this vast wealth. Yes. Yeah, it's stuffed. Double taxation. No, it isn't. You've never paid tax. The company paid tax, but you're not the company. No, you're you're not. a shareholder. The company is different from you. They are absolutely different. And, and like you said last week, it's the exact same thing as if you, when you get your paycheck, you, the company that you work for pays tax on that money when they make it and then they pay you and you pay tax on that money as well. Because that... money is taxed as it goes around the economy. Exactly. But our friend Jim is is really hard done by. Of course, the Libs have got their main attack on this fake retirement tax bullshit being run by Tim Wilson. And um, here's Tim Wilson at one of his inquiries. Because once we became, people became aware of these public hearings and once it became publicised a bit more and it wasn't just 
Tim Wilson's mates and the Liberal Party mates mm-hmm. in there uh, pushing it to rich white people who don't want to lose their bonus payouts from the taxpayer. A very is, targeted audience. Yes. So when more people found out about it, more people started going to these, which led to Tim having to calmly lay down the law. This is a formal inquiry of the House of Representatives. Tim didn't like the narrative of being interrupted. No, and he didn't like the man who had stood up and asked why the website required them to sign a petition saying they supported it to even register and why they needed to give their information and subscribe to a newsletter, like why they had to do all of these things. It was, it was all the point that he was making. He was making the point that you have created a bit of a farce situation because you're requiring us when we sign up to say that we support you. It is amazing the footage of the people in that room responding to anything uh, that was in even vaguely critical of the position. So when somebody was saying, uh, it took like an hour into the one that I heard, uh, before somebody stood up and said, "Yeah, no, I'd actually rather this money be going towards public schools and hospitals, and uh, for and to actual pensioners who are really struggling, as opposed to really rich people." And they've been, she's been like, "Oh, boo!" From the people that like this was, group of people, our parents' age. These are these rich white boomers, uh, Franken boomers, as we call them, because of their their weird obsession with us paying them cash for Franken credits. Uh, just this, the the the. Angry, ra- the rage at people daring to, and the, the how aggressive and bullying that. Because that guy, that guy who spoke that Tim Wilson was yelling at, like he was manhandled out of there by a bunch of sort of random goofy, boomers. Like they yeah. just like these guys got up and started pushing him and like getting Basically really angry at him. And then once a few were doing that, then a couple more got up and started like older guys got up and started shouting at him because other guys were like manhandling him out of the room. The one woman that they didn't shout at was a very elderly woman who got up and started talking about um, elderly on the pension. And she They was, did groan her though. They did, they they did groan like, at her, like, like, but they, they were a they bit more politely. polite. They were a bit more... They well, they didn't physically manhandle her out of the room. No. And they didn't shout at her like they did at some of the other people. Like one or two other people who were younger, and when I say younger, I mean our age or older still, getting up saying, this is wrong, this system shouldn't happen, all got booed very loudly. But the one woman who did start talking about people on the disability pension, um, because I think she was an elderly woman, they were restrained in their disappointment and Still pretty rude. Yeah. Um, I do I do like Wilson. So getting cra- he was really cranky at the idea that anybody's digging up his own personal connection to the uh, fund that his first cousin or second cousin or whatever it was uh, that he invested heavily in. And he, he considers that being raised as a grubby smear. Yeah. This is just a grubby, pathetic, sad smear campaign. Yes, I hold shares that are managed by Wilson Asset Management. That was fully disclosed on the parliamentary register. It's never been a secret. They've always been there. Uh, and there is no impact... But why not oh, say, no, it? Why not, why not no, say it at no, the start no, of every no, hearing no, like David no Coleman Im- did? There is no impact on the value of the shares or the income of the but shares you could still as say a direct it. consequence of the policy. You could That's still say it at the start of every hearing. You don't say that, though. But, but I could say that about every share that I own and every other... But this is relevant to this one. But it's actually not. All Wilson Asset Management is doing is fighting back against this policy. Jeff Wilson himself has publicly declared he will have no impact from Labor's policy. For this policy to have had an impact on me, I would have to be retiring or have a zero net, uh, zero uh, tax marginal rate. My marginal rate is 45%. My age is 38. Jeff. Well, that's pretty misleading, disingenuous nonsense from Tim. Uh, obviously, if you're in shares in a company that is profiting off a particular loophole, it is relevant because they'll be worth more 
if your your campaign is successful. You are campaigning for a thing in which you have a commercial interest, not because you're going to ret- you're retiring right now. Although obviously you're planning on setting things up so that you can take advantage of this rort, I'm willing to bet. But uh, obviously it's a few years till you retire. But your shares will be worth more. Absolutely. So, th- <laughs> so your profit in the company, your well, yeah, your stake in the company will be worth more. So if you boost this company with these uh, hearings, even if you're encouraging uh, their clientele to think that that you're using the the office of the state to boost this company in some ways, which is also dodgy. F. It is dodgy as heck, and he just can't say that it's dodgy as heck. There's no way to avoid admitting that, so he keeps going, oh, that we're the dodgy ones. We're the dodgy ones for bringing it up. It's a smear campaign. Smear. He says that word so many times. Grubby. Grubby. Uh, Whereas this whole thing is really grubby. I I love that, uh, and Michaelia Cashman, she's been caught out uh, with the... Uh, AWU uh, raids and tipping off the media in her office being clearly linked to it and her refusing to give uh, no proper and actual statement to the police and so forth. And she's out there demanding an apology. Absolutely. Like, so the way to um, derail that conversation is to go on the offensive. Yeah. So you take it off you and you turn it on to someone else. So she demands an apology from Penny. She demands an apology from, from the Labour Party. Senator Wong has continually said... Um, I have had prior knowledge of the raids. I'm waiting now for an apology from Senator Wong, <laughs> Senator Watt and Senator Cameron, because even the interjections they were making last week in the Senate have now all proven to be wrong. You should apologise to the Australian Please, Senator Watt, you don't, yeah. wrong, don't to the interrupt. questions to answer. That's who you should apologise to, to the people who elected Senator Wong, Prime please do not... Hold it, Minister. Yeah. The more they shout they deserve an apology is the more indication that they actually should be apologising to the rest of us and have done something really, really wrong and they just figure if they shout for long enough, you know... Yeah, and Michaela's caught in this feedback loop where she... Um, the AWU says the only reason they didn't press charges is because they didn't get the evidence. It's not that they didn't think a crime was committed because they th- think a crime was committed, but that they couldn't press charges because she didn't give the evidence. They couldn't get evidence from they her. They were stonewalled as much as they could. Exactly, they were stonewalled. And then she goes back and says, well, I didn't stonewall them. I went and referred them back to my testimony of 2017 and last year. Um, what, in the Senate? Yes. We heard where te- she kept on saying, I, I can't talk about it because it's in front of the police? Yes, exactly. Her testimony, which she said, I can't talk about it because it's in front of the police. I will attend estimates when I am the responsible minister. I have issued instructions to the lawyers uh, to have the subpoena set aside. And I don't intend to now play the court process out publicly. You won't answer despite being asked more than 10 times yesterday if you have been interviewed by the AFP, if you've had any contact with the AFP, have you given a statement to the AFP? Can you answer that once and for all? I think you and I both know that yet again this is subject to an AFP investigation and it would not be appropriate to comment. And so it's this big circle and then she keeps saying that she won't comment on the transcript until she sees a certified copy of the transcript. Uh, Senator Cameron, you are referring to, I believe, media reports of evidence that has been given. Um, until I see a certified transcript of the actual evidence that has been given, I am not going to provide a running commentary on an ongoing case. So you're saying the media has got it completely wrong, that they cannot accurately... Uh, report on evidence under oath 
uh, in court. Is that, is that your excuse uh, I have said that until I see up? a certified transcript of the evidence, I'm not going to provide a running commentary on the case. Oh. Well, you're a minister. Totally normal above board behaviour. If that transcript is available, why doesn't one of your staffers have a copy of it immediately? Why aren't you reading it immediately? Why aren't you trying to look at every bit that applies to you? I just... Just this entire, on the way out there, well, this one was obviously in the middle of it when they didn't think they were going to lose the election. She was pulling this shit. They, were, mm. they deliberately set off this supposedly by you know, a public service uh, commission to try and attack their political enemies, the AW, because it's connected to Bill Shorten, and, and have the media there to embarrass Bill Shorten. Like, the whole point of it was they were using the instruments of state to for a political purpose, uh, quite an overt one, but in a way that, like, clearly it was shonky because they had to do this underhanded sort of Absolutely. reveal, moving stuff between departments. It's like these people don't understand that once they're in government, once they're ministers, they've actually sworn an oath to act, like they're not just party political hacks. Obviously, they have party political views on policy, but they're supposed to behave in with as ministers at a certain different level of. And they don't. They just they just act like they don't the, understand they, that. They don't. At all. They don't deal with the idea of ministerial responsibility has been a joke since well at least before Howard at least since Howard's time when he had to bring in the ministerial code of conduct which they've just thrown out the window because um, they, they view the powers of a minister as a means to uh, you know obtain um, not policy political policy ends because obviously that's why we. How the system works, and that's each different party that gets in will have different perspectives on portfolios and where resources should be found and what decisions should be made and Absolutely. where they should delegate and all the rest of it. But what this mob do is they use the instruments of the powers of that office for grubby political attacks. They 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 debase the whole thing. But they've also seen it. Like we've seen quite a bit of that trading around of political staffers and things. Like we saw it with Barnaby last year with the before the affair blew out when you started looking at the fact that staff was traded around offices to sort of get them out of this office or that office. And oh, I thought you were going to go with more the thing where uh, he shoved the entire that that um, agriculture department to up, oh, up north to God, yes. uh, his electorate. And it's completely destroyed the effectiveness of that department. Like yeah. they have, they, there was a um, they lost a whole bunch of staff because they wouldn't move. Yeah, like a whole bunch of things. It was not a it was not a department that worked where he wants to move it, and he it was purely pork barreling for his own freaking electorate. Of course, it was at the at the cost to the people who rely on the service provided by that department. Absolutely, it was. But while we're talking, okay, well, let's deal with other corruption on the way out because uh, we've obviously got that they've been stacking the administrative appeals tribunal on the way out. Yes, it, they have been. They've uh, there's 34 new appointments to the tribunal, and in those last few months where they it's effectively bloody caretaker right now. Like they we've only got a month or two before the election. They're not holding parliament. They're trying to they they what are they, do they filibustered their own question time they had two and a half hour question time to avoid there being a vote on a royal commission to abuse in the disability sector yes which is horrifying and, and disappointing and, and exactly disgusting. what we expect from this government but it's okay on, in the caretaker mode they're busy stacking we were saying why people ask why are they why are they waiting it out why don't they just go to the election apart from morrison wanting to be a prime minister for a bit longer because they want to line up their warts. They've got a month or two to do it. Absolutely. They've got to line everything up for themselves yeah. and their mates. And so some of the appointments include the Liberal Senate President, Stephen Perry, who uh, quit politics last year doing over dual citizenship. It includes uh, he former... He quit so much. He, was he lost his seat. Wow. Because... But yeah. to be fair to him, the Section 44 thing is bullshit and the High Court did it, made an idiotic decision on the subject and, and it's a real problem that needs to be fixed. 
And you see Tim Hollow made a proposal about that because he's running in Canberra. Tim Hollow from the Greens, um, he made a proposal that what should actually happen while we've got the Section 44 problem is that DFAT should have a department that is, uh, helps candidates uh, locate um, deal with the other embassies around the world that they need to to get rid of uh, the, their dual citizenship problems. Now that's only a band-aid because the real solution would be not making people give up their citizenships but um, that is a proposal that's out there now. Anyway, back to so Parry is going to the AAT Wait, okay. It was an important segue. No it wasn't <laughs> Who else are they putting in there? Uh, a bunch of former federal MPs like Deanne Kelly, Bob Baldwin um, David Cox Oh, who's actually former Labour. But then they also have quite a few uh, state Liberal MPs, including Michael Sutherland, who is uh, possibly best known for calling refugee activists and environmentalists a bunch of cockroaches during his last run for Senate in 2007. Great. Um, Glad to hear that he'll be making decisions for the AOT. Yes, and people like uh, the Liberal MP from South Australia, Steve Griffiths, and Western Australian Liberal MP Joe Francis, as well as a bunch of former Liberal staffers. Not only that, he also announced that he's reaffirming uh, 52 of the current members, most of whom are to- uh, Tony Abbott era. Great. Yes. There is always a, this sort of legacy of, of shitty appointments that the Libs always leave us when they go out. Um, what was the last dodgy bit of corruption? Because it's, it's been a week in which the stench of grifters rorting it before they get kicked out is sort of wafting through. And the government really wants to just be ranting about uh, they want to run a, a scare campaign about asylum seekers on boats. But but I'm getting the feeling that the scent of, even without the specifics, even without any one of these individual things blowing into the big scandal that they would be if they weren't all coming at once, I get the feeling that the stench is hanging around the libs and it's not just sort of blowing off. And then, you know, the Australian might get really excited that, that finally there's an Ipsos Fairfax poll that they like where the government seemed to have turned it around a little bit with their screaming about about people coming on boats, um, even though the Ipsos polls are generally outliers and, yeah, uh, and normally News Limited ignores them completely. But I get the feeling that there's just enough of it that, just the sense that these are grifters in it for themselves is well, sinking through. And a lot of it's really blowing up. So what seemed like a sort of small thing, but a bit corrupt, which was Corman... Um, We're getting three grand of travel. Getting three grand of travel for free because, oh, it was an administrative error that Hello World didn't charge him. And I thought he, it was going to go on my credit card and then I didn't I, have a check. I don't notice when three grand doesn't come out of my credit card. Exactly. Who does check their credit card for $3,000 charges? I know I certainly don't. And it's just water, money under the bridge. Water under the bridge. It's water under the bridge. I don't even notice it. Uh, I'd like to just uh, remind Patreon subscribers that we definitely do notice it. Let's do nothing anyway. I think that we are like three grand. Who cares? Oh, God if we had three grand so it went from this administrative error to this much bigger deal where joe hockey got embroiled in it yeah what was the connection well you see the guy who runs hello world is actually the liberal party treasurer burns he's good friends with hockey he's friends with corman in fact when corman made his travel arrangements he just called up the ceo of hello world three, three separate occasions to make travel arrangements I often call the CEO of companies to make arrangements. Oh, when they see that it's you. Um, because, oh, yeah, like you're absolutely. the minister for finance, and so they make. Oh no, wait, sorry, that's with Coleman. They do answer the phone for when it's a government minister. So basically, uh, Burns's two IC just got called into Washington to have an appointment with DFAT staff about the current travel arrangements. What could be happening better? What is not happening so well? Apparently, hockey organized it because uh, travel arrangements for who? For DFAT. 
Oh, okay, right, for the whole department. Yeah, it's for the department. And now it's out for tender, and they're one of the people who are bidding on the tender. Well, cool. I'm sure that's yeah. totally above board. And hockey has a million dollars worth of shares in Hello World. I'm willing to bet that that tender gets locked down before the election. Funny that. It's, they're just so shonky. And I wanted to, the segue I wanted to do after the, all the, the, the shonky um, franking credits crap was to contrast it with the way that you've got, you've got these, these rich boomers over there demanding their extra money so that they don't have to dip into any of their vast asset wealth to live in luxury. Uh, you've got the actual Liberal MPs on the way out busy stacking boards, mm-hmm. uh, caught out with all their rorts, and nothing, nothing seems to stick because it's not like... Mor- Even if you had any uh, sense of decency, it's not like Morrison can afford to sack anyone because he doesn't have the numbers no. in the parliament. So they're all quite safe until the election when they're all quite unsafe. Um, we hope. And then contrast all of that with one of the things that these assholes have... Uh, in the case of the boomers, supported. In the case of the uh, libs, deliberately done, uh, is nasty policies like RoboDebt, where they try and squeeze millions out of the very poor. And they go, when they announce these policies, they talk about how much money it's going to bring back into the budget. Um, so I think we found out a couple of things about RoboDebt this week, uh, including uh, that it costs the budget more than it raises. Mm. It's a net negative. So we squeeze these people, we kick them in the face, we we push them to death, the other thing we found out. Do, do tell me, and, and, and yet, after all this, we're also worse off. Yep. So they said in the Senate estimates that the scheme has apparently raised, and raised is in quotation marks everywhere I see it, about $1.5 billion in debts. Except only $500 million has been repaid. Another $500 million is the subject of payment arrangements, which may never actually get repaid because it's from low-income earners. And there's a whole, all the remaining money is unconfirmed and subject to appeal. But the scheme has actually cost more than $400 million to the end of 2018. They've had to hire a bunch more staff for the call center to deal with some of these things, which is good because they laid off a bunch of staff. Um, though I believe that so that's still... So it's more still, than $400 million. So Yeah, so the, this cost is expected to go up. Um, so how do they get that it's more than... Because if they've recovered $500 million and they've only spent $400 million, that would not be... No, more. so they've only gotten about $100 million out of it. I think that... oh, but they okay. expect the cost to go up this year. So basically, the original costs have suggested that the great bulk of the work would be done online. There wouldn't be staff involvement. They've actually had to bring on more staff. Okay, and it's, they've spent at least $400 million, so it will probably have been more. Yeah. And that money, that's going to keep being spent. But the government, very optimistically, thinks that, it'll, that it will get $4 billion over the next four years. When it's so far only really managed to get $500 million, and only $100 million of that is projected actual money they've got. And a decent chunk of that is probably... The, the money that they've got back will be the one... The, many of the ones that they didn't deserve in the first place and just the people who were bullied into as soon as they got the oh. letter going, quick, just pay them and make it go away because fighting they don't it's have terrifying. the energy or time or, or emotional resources to fight. It's also Centrelink, and they send you these threatening letters, and it seems like they will ruin your future. If you don't pay this, you'll have this huge debt. So people scrambled and scraped and did whatever they could to pay it. And now there's actually some legal challenges about some of that debt that was already paid. So some of that other money that's been repaid is going to have to come back, and the government's going to spend more, well, more money fighting it. Exactly. They're going to have to spend more money from the Victorian Legal Aid, which is uh, arguing that the way they're calculating the debt's unlawful. Oh, well, yeah, because Victoria Lady is now funding a challenge to the whole... Yes, so they're going to have to pay money on that. 
And also, it causes a bunch. It's caused a bunch of deaths, which has well, not led to any sympathy from the it, department. It, except as the uh, as the woman in uh, estimates did say, um, the public servant that because those people are dead, they can't actually speak to them about why they died, so they can't really relate it to Robo Dead. What were the numbers of people connected? Two thousand and thirty people died after they were sent a death, death notice, including eight hundred and twelve who were on the vulnerable list from Centrelink. Oh, sorry, because we are also kicking people out onto the streets. Even when they, they, previously there would have been a flag saying no. Don't mm. And one in five are under the age of thirty-five. So how do we know? Why, why do we think that those deaths were linked? Because some of the people are actually reporting back that there have been suicides and deaths in their families due to the stress. Okay. So there are actually, but those are anecdotal stories. Like this is people talking about their families, but you know, my son committed suicide. Um, my partner did. These sorts of things happen. So, so some of them have been. Some of the other deaths we don't know the causes of. And also, some of these debts, these even where they would be, they would call them a genuine debt, a real debt that's there, might be something like two people who are surviving on Newstart at a below sustainable rate, uh, form a relationship, and the government has the view that you sh- they should be told if somebody's if people on Newstart are having sex, the government needs to know about it. And the, re- the reason why the government needs to know about it is so they can cut each of their payments so by ten dollars a week. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that's the thing that they do. So if somebody doesn't tell the government that for reasons of needing to survive and the fact that it's fucking ridiculous, um, the government and the government finally figures out from... Because they go and stalk people's Facebook now too. Oh, they stalk all sorts of social media, yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and they then, use the powers that they've gotten from the, with the AFP to actually look at these things. And now, and they would, they would consider that. That would be in their stats. All the, any, anybody who they've caught out having a relationship. So I would have thought that the appropriate... It's relevant if you're being supported by another person. That obviously affects your means, and so it should be relevant to, for a determination of how much social security support you, you need. But if two people are on a below subsistence new start payment, they're not supporting each other. They are already they they've not don't have enough for themselves to live. Mm. It should it if somebody is going to be and also the the assertion that somebody who's on new start who is in a relationship with somebody must be getting money from that person. Like turns everybody in Centrelink to what a, a sex worker, effectively. Like they, so the the government's like, you know, you must be getting if you're having sex with somebody, you must be being paid for it. You must be getting money from them. The only thing that should be relevant should be, are you being getting financial support from another person, and then you declare that. That's relevant, but it should also be relevant if you're getting support from your parents. Yes, but that's not a thing Centrelink follows up. So rich people, rich kids whose parents are giving them cash, that doesn't count. But poor people who have a partner. Who also isn't giving them any cash, but is they're, they're living together or something? They get their new start cut further. How is that just? Anyway, my point back to the robot debt stuff is that's in when they talk about uh, Centrelink fraud and money that's been overpaid and that that people have taken fraudulently. They're talking about shit like that. Yes, which is not fraud at all. That's bullshit, and it's a an absurd rule, and it's an absurd thing. I mean, bloody civil. Well, it should be civil disobedience. It should be people going, you know what, fuck you, it's none of your business. I don't get any money from that person, so it's not relevant to my settling, and it and shouldn't I, be relevant to my social security. It also seems that a lot of the people who are getting challenged, or who are challenging this, are coming up okay, because it's a lot of work, and a lot of times, especially when you work in the service industry, trying to find information from seven, eight years ago is hard. You know, companies are only required to keep things for five years. Yeah, places, so people give up and just pay. Exactly. Places may be out of business, especially when it's like a small, if you worked at a small cafe that's gone out of business, how do you track down the owner to get your pay slips yeah. from that long ago? And you also look at 
um, a very transient population. You, when I say a transient population, I mean people like us who are forced into this renting situation, who move from year to year to year, you throw out paperwork, you get rid of it, you don't want to understand why you have that box in the cupboard from eight years ago, so it goes. Right. And it's, then Centrelink calls, and where are your, where are your slips? This is entitled millennials. Oh, it's, uh, you just... we're behind the avocado curtain. <laughs> so, Natalie Brennan, the general manager of... I don't think I've ever bought anything from Muffin Broke, and I certainly won't be doing it now. No. Um, hopefully, soon they'll be Muffin Broke, but uh, it's a like a shitty cafe type thing. It's one of those chain cafes that, you know, coffee and muffins and sandwiches for your lunch. Well, so, Natalie Brennan has earned herself uh, the, the uh, title of... Uh, Twitter hate figure for today, yes, uh, and and rightly so. Uh, who's I mean, th- this article that they put up on news.com.au really needs to be read to be believed. But um, I'm going to read you some quites from it, and uh, I want to I want to hear the teeth grinding, darling. If you, if you can get the gr- <laughs> the relevance of all this is uh, just obviously one of the fundamental issues that this election will be uh, rights at work and uh, the ACTU's uh, change the rules campaign. This sort of crap. Uh, and Muffin Break was one of the companies that's been caught out taking advantage of the Liberals' little scam schemes to get cheap labour. Uh, you know, where they get they get people in there, pay them a pittance, and then kick them straight back out again, and the government pays them extra money for it. And also they were caught out uh, underpaying staff. So that's Muffin Break. So Natalie Brennan, um, who does... who Look, you know what? I'm prepared to nominate her as, uh, well, may we say, as hate figure of the week. Can she be the hate figure of the week for one of the We need her intern to make it. Yeah, but they won't bloody show up anymore just because we keep making them do everything and paying them nothing. Oh, that's true. Stupid interns are so entitled. Well, that's what Natalie says. Anyway, entitled millennials have been given an inflated sense of self-importance due to social media and are no longer willing to do unpaid work to advance their careers. She says... Um, the precipitous decline in eager young university students and graduates started about 10 years ago. Ms. Brennan continues, actually, you know what, darling? I don't want to be doing the voice for the hate figure. Do you want to do the... Do you, what, what does Ms. Brennan say? There's just nobody walking on my door asking for an internship, work experience, or unpaid work. Nobody. You don't see it anymore. Before that, people would be knocking on your door all the time. You couldn't keep up with how many people wanted to be working. In fact, I'd run programs because there were so many coming in. Last year, she had one intern in marketing, and that was it. I can't even remember the one before that. Six, seven, eight years ago? In essence, they're working for free, but I can tell you every single person who has knocked on my door for an internship or work experience has ended up with a job. Every single person, because they back themselves. Wow. Um, but but I, you think that would be enough? But she goes on to complain about how uh, that kind of passion is lacking these days. One fellow I hired, he was underqualified, completely not the right person, but he rang me every two weeks for six months. He said, I'll do anything, I'll start at ground level. After six months, I hired him because you can't teach that passion and enthusiasm. He worked for five or six years and moved on to a high role in another company. Okay, and and her complaints about candidates these days? They walk into interviews thinking they're better than the job, immediately asking, how long before I get my promotion? When is the first pay rise? In one case, she ended the interview early, and the candidate sent me an abusive email saying I was underpaying, but then said, if you pay X amount, I'll come and work for you. People are clueless. Not only am I not going to hire you, I will tell everyone about you as well. That's a thing people don't realize. Whatever industry you're in, it's a small industry. 
Wow. It's all about getting people cheaply. And it's the same thing about people wanting, uh, of her generation talking about housing. They're like, no, these, these young people just won't be satisfied with an entry-level house. They just want a mansion. No, they're paying mansion prices for a shack on fire in a swamp. She does the same thing here. So in, instead of being people want to be paid for the job and have some actual prospect for being earning a living wage, she's like, there is this unreal view that you're going to come into a company and be the general manager or CEO in five years. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> No, no, there's not. And she also blames social media for the entitlement mentality. I think everybody thinks social media is going to get them ahead somewhere. There's definitely that inflated view of their self-importance because they have X amount of Instagram followers or this many likes. That's dangerous. Oh, no, yeah. She's a, she'd be a terrible boss. She says, it's like I'm your manager and your mentor, but not your cheerleader, even giving people constructive criticism about how they can learn or improve. It's like someone is unfriending them. It's like a personal attack. This ability to learn and grow through working in an environment, people don't want to do it anymore. Can you imagine when she thinks it's constructive criticism? You can Everybody can read between the lines and imagine just what she's like. And somebody's gone and called her on it and said, look, you're really aggressive and abusive as an employer. And she's like, oh, so sensitive snowflake yeah the other thing that gets me is that she the way she's using the term millennial and then referring referring to recent university graduates like millennials can be up to 38 right now (laughs) so they've probably been to university they probably have houses and families and like or well like they rent a place and they have a family they they have expenses they can't afford to just walk up to you and go please give me a job how are they gonna live for on, on this nothing she's like she doesn't even think that there's, like, this is an exchange. Yeah. So she's like, she feels like young people want to be applauded or named staff member of the month for doing their job. Great, you did your job, so you get to keep your job, she said. I'm generalising, but it definitely feels like this generation of 20-somethings has to be rewarded, even if it's the most mundane, boring thing. They want to be rewarded for doing their job constantly. What, like wages, you dickhead? Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> and the person who wanted extra money for looking after the department while she was away on a conference for two weeks. Oh, my God. For doing her job. I don't think she realises what she sounds like. No, she's she like, definitely doesn't. Subordinate demanded a pay rise for, quote, looking after the department while she was gone. I said, actually, you didn't. I wasn't on leave. You had maybe an extra 10 emails to deal with for two weeks. That was part of your job. If you had solved this problem or saved us money, that's the thing to bring to me. Like, it may be an extra 10 emails to deal with for two weeks. I'm willing to bet they had a lot more than 10 emails and yeah. a lot more other things to do. Oh, God. <laughs> like, she's a shitty boss who undervalues everything you do, is abusive about minor things, uh, and then feels like you should just be grateful for, what, being allowed to be in her presence doing stuff for her to make her money? Absolutely. You should be grateful for all of that. Oh, here she is. But there are still people out there who come in and say, I'm willing to work for junior wages to show what I'm worth what you're worth junior wages I yeah. think that, um, it's just astonishing the sense of entitlement of these people who are like she'll be the same person who's demanding that that uh you know if she, if she when she retires she'll be demanding that the government should be voting for parties that try to squeeze money out of the very poor uh while simultaneously demanding that the government find money to give her more cash for her shares so that she doesn't have to dig into her vast wealth pretty much well, you know what? I, I want to play you two grabs, one from Fox in America and one from, uh, I think it's Sky News in Australia. It's Rita Panahi and Carolyn Marcus, and I've forgotten who's interviewing who. Uh, but look, this this is the the American Fox version. 
There is an, a see, what seems to be a movement against capitalism in this country. This is a piece in Politico uh, just published, Soak the Rich. Americans say, go for it. In this piece, it talks about uh, how recent polling is showing that the American public is increasingly on board with raising taxes on the rich. As evident, uh, evidence, we pulled up this latest Fox News poll on the issue, whether Americans support raising taxes on the wealthy, on incomes over 10 million bucks. Uh, those that are in favor of that, 70%, Charles, over a million dollars in income, 65% are in favor of raising taxes. The idea of fairness has been promoted in our schools for a long time. And we're starting to see kids who grew up in this notion that fairness above all, uh, and, and, and now they're becoming voting age and they're bringing this uh, ideology with them. I love that. When you're out there complaining that the you would have got away with it if only people hadn't been teaching the children to appreciate fairness. Well, absolutely. And how, what were you thinking that like people over 10 million should get pay, taxed more? Oh my goodness. That's barely anything. That's, that's practically like making 10,000. I, I, I can't believe just ordinary people on 10 million. And you have this rant in Australia from, I think it's Marcus interviewing Rita Panny. So a bunch of uh, commercial media hacks. I did my editorial on socialism and its appeal to, to millennials. Are you shocked that despite all of its failures over <laughs> all the years, including most recently in Venezuela, so many young people pine for socialism? Well, I'm a little bit shocked by the sheer number of people. You wrote in your column that this YouGov poll had found that close to two-thirds of millennials in Australia view socialism in a favourable light. And I thought that number, two-thirds, is incredible. They obviously just become so complacent about how good we have it in the West, in Australia, under capitalism, that they think that they might, might believe some of these ideals, that this idea that capitalism is evil that's being pushed by certain groups. And they look to this fantasy of socialism where everything is for free, and of course that sounds great. <laughs> you know, free money, free education, <laughs> free healthcare, but it doesn't work out in reality. I don't think anything in socialism for, is for free. I think that I pay taxes, that I go to work and I pay a third of my salary in taxes in order to fund these things. So we can have a social safety net funded, so we could have education funded, so we could have medical, Medicare funded. And that I would rather be funding that than like submarines to protect our borders. Uh, <laughs> and more, I love her shouting out that that doesn't work. Uh, well, no, no, sorry, we, you, you're talking about healthcare? Uh, I think you'll find that the American system is what doesn't work. Oh, so broken. They spend uh, more than any other first world nation, but have the worst healthcare system. Yeah, no, I don't know of any political parties, even in Australia, even even on the far right, that are advocating for us to take on the American system. No, didn't of... this party actually say recently that there are things about the American medical system that they liked? Oh, did they? Yeah, that no. wasn't too long ago. With the Liberal Party? Yeah. Oh, good. Well, I'm sure that would be... Uh, Australian voters would love to see that up on some billboards. I'm, I assume they whispered it quietly in some quiet corners and they're not campaigning on it. No. Because everybody knows what a disaster the American system is. There are a lot of uh, public goods and services that work 
vastly better being universally provided and healthcare is one of them. Absolutely. Education is one of them. Absolutely they are. And you can just look at the Liberal government's dismantling of our Medicare system over the past, you know, well, few they years. They haven't dismantled it, but okay. they just keep like They're... underfunding it to make it worse. They're shittier attempt... shittier. Yeah, to push people into private healthcare. Yes. Their attempt to d- dismantle it and to, yeah, exactly, push people into the capitalistic private uh, healthcare, private insurance system that they get lobbied by. Um, and, and then as a result of that, the people who have the power money and resources uh, don't care about Medicare because they're not using it anymore. So that's the point. That's how you kill off a government service by by getting the wealthy out of it. And you do the same thing with schools. If you've got the rich taking their kids whose kids aren't going to public schools, you can then underfund them. And then you have this shitty system where people fall through the cracks and you end up massively wasting your country's potential and resources because uh, your because people are kids are missing out on decent education because their parents are poor. Yeah. Uh, and people in the case of the American health system, you have people um, in dying, shooting, well, dying uh, bankrupt, unable to unable to move to better jobs because they can't they can't move their health insurance or whatever mad system it is. People going yeah medically bankrupt because they can't get basic treatment. People, it's just an insane system. But yes. That's right, but it's socialism that's problem. I find it interesting that they keep bringing up Venezuela. It's like, look what happened in Venezuela. But that wasn't an example of socialism. That wasn't an example of a social system, uh, socialized medicine or socialized education or any of that. Well, they have some elements of that, but that's like saying that, that vegetarians are Nazis because Hitler was a vegetarian. That, but they do that. They're, they're like, but but Hitler had some kind of public services that for well only for Germans and applied in a racist way. But that isn't the bit that was the problem. The problem was all the nationalist right wing shit. It's not like it's not like he's you know that, that when they have a public hospital, that's what it invaded Europe. Mm. Um and it's like Venezuela is not an example of the kind of of, of a modern, well established progressive state where public services are funded by progressive taxation, like in the, you know, the Scandinavian countries. Those people are very happy. They are not looking that they would be the genuine example of socialism Absolutely. that we're talking about, not Venezuela. No, exactly. And then, yeah, so you would want to look at somewhere like the Netherlands. You want to look at somewhere like Sweden. You want to look at these places where, yes, the taxation rate is higher, but the satisfaction is also higher. Yeah, the amount that Americans get taken out of their paychecks to cover their employer health insurance is vastly more than it would have been if you just, the amount you would have to pay in taxes to have a universal health care system. It's, it's, it's mad. Well, and they already do pay so much in taxes for a medical system that is broken. Yeah, it's just mad. I, I love that you've got these um, vacuous right-wing talking heads up there being like, I don't, under- I don't understand why, why these young people who have no housing security are being forced to move. You know, they have landlords that can come into their house at any time under, under the wonders of capitalism. Every six months they can just walk into their house and check it out and if they don't like it, kick them out onto the street. They have stagnant wage growth where they, they can't earn enough to you know, keep housing over their, their heads. Yeah. Uh, what, what is it about socialism that appeals to these young people? Also, Weird. you know, these people who didn't get free education and have massive hex debts. A decision that was made by people who did get free education. Yeah, that is weird. Mm. All right, well, let's do Australia versus Humanity. Uh, Which, luckily, it's been a great week and there's absolutely nothing to report. Australia's wonderful. I'd like to play you some Crocodile Tears. This is Senator Linda Reynolds in the Senate this week. This is going to be the hardest and most personal speech I'll ever make in this place. This morning when I saw my colleagues here in this chamber cheering and high-fiving each other on the passage of Labor's amendments, I felt physically ill. In this chamber, 
MPs from the other place and this place cheering for a political victory, one that I know from personal experience will inevitably come at the cost of the lives of others. It won't be the senators in this place who have to recover the bloated corpse of babies and women mauled by the sharks. It will be the men and women of the Australian Border Force and the Australian Defence Force who have had to do it twice before. It won't be members of the House of Representatives who will be comforting our defence and border force personnel, who years later still wake with night terrors, reliving the horrors we knowingly inflicted on them. And you can attempt to justify your actions, to assuage your conscience that there was some technicality that somehow these people smugglers were going to tell these people who were out there waiting to come here. And I'm sorry to say, we will go through it again and you will all be equally culpable. I feel physically sick hearing that bullshit. Um, wow. Lina, um, okay, first of all, you, the service personnel who were traumatised, you mean like the ones uh, on the Navy boats who had to uh, wait until people were in the water on a sinking boat under John Howard because they weren't allowed to rescue them while the boat was still above water? They had to, you know, when they were dragging the boats and letting them sink behind them and they weren't allowed to go in there until they uh, and, and rescue them until... Uh, you mean those those service personnel who were traumatised by what they did? Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe the service personnel were traumatised by uh, the fact that we're dragging boats back to sea, which are almost certainly not seaworthy, and mm-hmm. are aware that the people who are being dragged back out to sea aren't suddenly magically safe from drowning. No. Weirdly enough, dragging a boat to sea doesn't save the people on it. You absolute monster. And and to be like. As long as these people are dying, uh, you know, out of uh, in other waters or in the countries they would have fled from, you know, then my conscience is clear. Exactly. <laughs> and Linda Reynolds, if you actually gave a shit about the lives of these people, do you know how you could, could uh, protect them from drowning without destroying them in offshore hell camps and denying them medical care? Denying them medical care. If you wanted them to be safe, you could let them have visas to come by air. That way, they leave the dangerous places. You don't have to drag them back out to sea. They don't drown. Uh, and, well, we could process them vastly more cheaply at an airport where they would land. That's how you could save their lives if you gave a damn about their lives. And also, in relation to the medivac bill, do you know how you could stop people smugglers from selling the bullshit line that somehow this has weakened our borders? Because under this legislation, anyone who comes, who is brought here for medical treatment, they're still being treated by, you know, held in, in with handcuffs on and taken and kept in with armed guards, and then they're dragged back to Nauru or Manus. Anyway, like they're not, they're not actually able to come here. This is not an open situation. Um, it's not like we're suddenly saying, okay, well, if you get sick, you can actually live in Australia. But they're putting them up in like holiday houses. <laughs> anyway, they're, they're keeping them in, in custody, basically. That's, yes, and they are. So, yeah, Linda, if you, if you don't want people smugglers lying about this and spreading this message, do you know what you could do? With the resources of the Australian government, you could be out there pointing out, no, the system is still intact. This is not actually a substantial change in terms of uh, how refugees are treated. They're still not coming to Australia. It's exactly the same as the ones who have been brought here because they've been successful court challenges that have forced them to be brought here, and that hasn't caused the weakening of our borders. That's already been happening. The only difference is that now it can happen in a reasonable period of time without a very sick refugee having to go through the very slow court appeals process and then the government being forced to let them uh, come anyway, which has happened to like eight or 900 people already. So if you actually were worried about this being used as a selling point, then maybe don't get Scott Morrison to be out there screaming that our borders are now weaker. Maybe you idiots are the ones who are now encouraging people to come on boats. Possibly. Just the disingenuous 
bullshit in that remark. And it's like when um, hockey uh, was... I remember hockey's tears when they were talking about the, about Gillard's ridiculous Malaysia solution bullshit. And he's like, oh, the idea of sending these people to a place where they don't have basic human rights protections. <laughs> like like what we're we doing to them now? Just the crocodile tears. They're just these... The feigned concern for their safety when their actions clearly indicate they don't give a shit and where there are things they could do to protect them, so their safety and everything they do is the opposite. Linda Reynolds, you can be, well, may we say, hate figure of the week. You can usurp the other woman. <laughs> Sorry, I've even forgotten. I've forgotten the muffin break woman's name now. It's Linda Reynolds. Screw you, Linda Reynolds. You're a monster. Fair enough. So, yeah, this... this claim that the Libs have been making this week that there's a glaring loophole in the, <laughs> their word is glaring uh, it's such a glaring loophole that we didn't find it until like a week or so after we, it had gone through government and like months after it was introduced yes. like, this is such a huge loophole that we didn't have it at our disposal to raise during the debate, that's how glaring this loophole is, anyway, they reckon there's a loophole whereby refugees that have been brought here uh, and have the medical treatment, they might be able to stop them going back is there because they won't release this uh, legal advice that they've got? And the last legal advice that they tried this shit with um, became apparent that they, um, which was, I think, the one about that it was going to uh, be a constitutional disaster if they brought this in and it was yeah. a money bill or whatever. That fell to pieces. They thought they had a, a later, they had a surprise campaign, surprise point with that, and that fell apart. So no, we don't. I don't accept your nonsense legal advice about a loophole for several reasons. One, you won't release it to us. And normally those that legal advice, I'm willing to bet that there are a whole lot of caveats in there. There's a whole lot of conditions that the lawyer's going, but it probably won't be or it won't be. Like, and then the government's line is, oh, no, we can't re- reveal what it is, otherwise they'll take advantage of it. It's like, if they're going to figure it out, yeah, then they're going, wouldn't it be better if you've got a loophole, bring it up, tell us what it is, I put it put an amendment to Parliament to fix it. Like you regularly have legislation that need that has a problem with it that you then just rush down with an amendment and it gets fixed. And it's not like if the Liberals if there was a loophole that made it possible for the asylum seekers to stay in Australia, the Labour Party and Karen Phelps have already said that they don't want that to happen. So they would agree to the amendment. If that if there was an amendment necessary, they would agree to it. There's no reason for them not to. And I think it's bullshit that they don't want them to stay in Australia, but that's a rant for another day. Oh, I don't think the Labour Party gives a shit about them staying Australia. Oh, no. They don't want them staying in Australia. But that's what I'm saying. I think it's bullshit that they don't want them to stay in Australia. Yeah, I, I think that they would... Ha- if this were a genuine loophole, then there would be easily enough parliamentary support to close it because it wouldn't be an unintended loophole. Yeah, but they should want point. them to stay in Australia. They should want them to come here for medical treatment and then have them stay. It's horrible that they don't. Oh, they should, but that's but that's not the consensus in Parliament. Yes, that's no, just you're the Greens. Right. The Greens are the only <laughs> people who would be like... They should be here in the first place. That's why I'm saying it's bullshit. It's yeah. it's a horrible thing. Um, so yeah, that's that's one of their shonky things. The other shonky thing from Australia versus Humanity uh, are these limited tenders. These tenders that they do to friendly companies to do, provide these services with like the quiet tenders that nobody gets to look at them ahead of time. So you had Paladin, who's given 423 million dollars to look after refugees and matters, and they're um, registered to a beach shack on Kangaroo Island. They're the only company. There's no. That's uh, totally legit. It's like the end of this dirt road. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's basically the uh, the display department for uh, the council in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I think I think the um, the the managing director's desk is behind a a little quiet door in the corner, which says "Beware of the Leopard." Just so shonky. Uh, and then they've got the medical contract that they've given to Pacific International Hospital, which are the mob that run the Port Moresby Hospital. 
But they've been given $21.5 million to treat the Simon Seagulls on Maz. They haven't done a contract in like eight months. It's the same outfit that Radport Moresby Hospital and caused. Do you remember Hamid Kazai, the refugee who died from an infection on his foot or his leg? Yeah, that, that, was, that was the shonky hospital that they were running. And I think they're, they're connected to a former PNG um, Prime Minister where there have been allegations of graft and corruption and so forth. So it's all very shonky. It is shonky. I would say it's almost as shonky as our government saying that they're going to fly the medical evacuees to a place with a six-bed hospital that isn't equipped for childbirth, surgery, has no psychiatric or specialist services, and that patients needing, who have broken bones are often sent to the mainland or Perth. Well, Perth is the mainland, but... Hey, you're talking about Christmas Island. I am. Where's your evidence that that's what it's like on Christmas Island? Well, you see, the council president of Christmas Island has said so. Oh, right. Oh, so you mean it's like on Nauru where they're like, hey, if the medical facilities aren't any good on Nauru, if they're not good enough for refugees, then why are they good enough for the Nauruan people? Well, the council president of Christmas Island says that the medical facilities don't meet the needs of locals and about 30 a year need to be transported into Perth. Ah, okay. So it's like Nauru where the facilities aren't there and locals get flown somewhere else when they need them. Exactly. And those flights cost fifty dollars to $100,000 each. Okay, but surely there is a way that you can fly somebody from Nauru to Brisbane via Christmas Island without that being insane. Let me just picture where Nauru is, up to the north-east of Australia, out... Uh, In Indian and, Ocean, where Christmas Island is... On the other side of Australia. No, there. no, there's no reasonable way. Yeah, no, that's completely insane. So we're going to be doing stupid, vast, what, a 10,000-kilometre um, turnaround or more, possibly? Sending them to a six-bed hospital without capacity for surgery, without any psychiatric services, which a lot of people who are on Medicine who need medical attention, it's for psychiatric services. I, I feel like this is a bad plan. I would say shonky. Squeaker agrees. So when Phelps, um, aware of this debacle, uh, tweeted, This is a subversion of our entire model of representative democracy. The Parliament, through its proper processes, clearly determined that people too sick to receive treatment in offshore detention should come to Australia, not Christmas Island, for specialised treatment. And Sharma, Dave Sharma, the, the Liberal candidate for Malcolm Turnbull's old seat of Wentworth... The one who, who lost to Karen Phelps. lost to Karen Phelps, tweeted, Is Christmas Island not part of Australia? And I thought this legislation was about access to medical treatment, not access to Australia. So that gives us a couple of, there's a couple of points there. One, the point is that medical treatment is not available on Christmas Island. And yeah. uh, where Shorten came out at first when he was being asked about this, and he's like, oh, look, you know, if there's the treatment available there, well, that's okay. That's fine, you think? He's trying to shut it down. Fine. And then Labor had to spend the, a, a chunk of the week going, no, no, but there isn't. So, yeah, no, that, that isn't fine. But, yeah, uh, I also like that their whole line is, these people won't come to Australia. That's why we're sending them to Christmas Island. But then you're like, Christmas Island is part of Australia, so they are going to Australia. Make up your mind. It's this whole Schrodinger's Australia where there's all these things that are bits of Australia and not bits of Australia, like the fundamental bit where Australia reckons that there's areas of land, obviously, there are islands, there are territories, there are places off the continent, off, somewhere off our continent, where they have the power to do shit like intercept boats and drag them back to sea or to detain people. They have the power, but courts don't have authority. They've got power but no responsibility. Yeah. That shouldn't even be possible. It should be that wherever the Australian government has power, therefore the courts have oversight. This idea that that there should be places where the government can fudge around that is bullshit. Oh, did you see Nauru also tried to put pass a law saying that they won't, uh, that, that they can't be taken off the island or something? No, I did not. It's just another chunky thing where, and they're like, look, now it can't work because this sovereign government has made a decision. 
sovereign. Yeah, huh. like like Nauru, like if like we couldn't get Nauru to stop doing that, and like they're not doing it deliberately to help the liberals. Yeah, like, they, like well, if we paid Nauru, for, we sorry Nauru just wants us to keep paying the money to keep torturing refugees for us. Uh-huh. But the point is that these are. Um, a lot of the people do need urgent medical care and they are in critical conditions. Like they're in p- conditions where flying them entirely across the country to the Indian Ocean on a small flight where you need to have doctors and medical equipment and that sort of thing to then be assessed to there, to then be transferred again to, say, Perth would possibly cause delays that are quite dangerous and life threatening. Oh, it's insane. The, the, every part of it is we don't give a shit about the, yeah. the health of these people. Absolutely. And their whole campaign is, oh, no, they're not real. They're not real. Not really sick at all. Ignore the doctors. Doctors, what do doctors know yeah. about medicine? I uh, apologize to people who can hear a cat mewing in the background. Don't worry, it's not your cat. It's ours. Um, the last thing involving uh, Border Farce is the, a bit about Hakeem Al-Arabi, who's now back in Australia after Border Force um, did not stop the AFP putting, a, uh, putting out a red notice because Bahrain oh, wanted him, God. and so he got detained, arrested in uh, Thailand and held until eventually he did get sent back, which Thank should never have happened because he's a refugee. The head of Border Force giving evidence in uh, estimates this week, uh, saying, no, it's just uh, are we, uh, one of us, one of us uh, personnel uh, forgot to send an email to the AFP uh, pointing, telling them that he was a refugee. So, you know, just to, just to muck up in our processes because they're all a bit old. Yeah, our IT's old, our systems are outdated. Yeah, weirdly, we keep spending a freaking fortune on this shit. Mm. Like, you're telling me that, that your your databases and your system, after all the money that's spent on it, are still unable to pick up those sorts of things. So mm. it's just mad. Anyway, all right, uh, let's leave with uh, two wacky stories quickly. Uh, we've got the this insane nonsense from One Nation, and I will flag before we talk about this... Why is it relevant? Why is it relevant that One Nation is why Pauline Hanson and Brian Burson, two senators, are having a a, a win? Well, having a fight over who, if somebody has sexually harassed the other person, and whether the person is attractive enough to be sexually harassed, which is such a One Nation response to it. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. And as for her thoughts on Senator Burston, I might be 64 now, but I tell you what, I'm not that desperate. I've got nothing to hide. And then the the sort of um, biffo in the corridors of uh, Parliament House. Go away, James. It's all. Listen What are you doing? Where James Ashby, Pauline's, um, I think he's her political advisor, um, has now been banned from Parliament House. Uh, look, he, I want to, I want to play you the audio of Brian Burston, uh, the senator, um, addressing the Senate on the important question of how the hell blood got smeared on Pauline Hanson's door. Senator Burston, uh, seek leave to make a short statement. It's leave granted. Leave is granted. Whilst I do not uh, recall the incident of blood on the door, I now have come to the conclusion that it was myself, and I sincerely apologise for that action. The point I wanted to make about it before we d- it dropped off to just one of the other insane things that happens around One Nation is just remember when the Liberals work with One Nation, when they preference One Nation, when they pretend that this is a genuine political outfit of, of sensible people that deserve respect, uh, and when they pretend that One Nation uh, are people who should be worked with much more than, for example, the Greens. One Nation are a bunch of insane cranks, and this behaviour in the Parliament uh, really demonstrates it. And I know um, you might find uh, somebody on the other side of politics might say, well, look, the Greens are having a whole lot of internal divisions at the moment. Look, you know, they had that big fight over sexual harassment involving uh, Jeremy Buckingham, and and he then quit the party and wants to dig a hole in the Blue Mountains. Um, and they're having all these internal fights over whether they should be uh, the Greens part of it or the or the um, socially progressive or the economically progressive part. 
yeah, the Greens are figuring out some internal stuff, but none of them, uh, even the environmental side still supports progressive policy and the progressive side still supports action against climate change. And they're still progressive on, on every on every vote they make, so their internal stuff doesn't bother me so much. But this kind of weird bifo agro stuff in the parliament from One Nation really matches the kind of people they are. Yes. And I think we should just remember it when whenever the bigger parties are working with them. And I think you wanted to end the episode this week telling us about Rexit. Yes, Rexit, or the regional exit, as uh, Tim Quilty, Liberal Democrat MP in the Victorian Upper House, has called it. So Lib Dem, so he's the libertarian, the David Lanehill mob, and he's at Upper House in Victoria. He just got a... How did he get a seat in... How on earth did the LDP get a seat in Victoria? Well, I believe that it had to do with the preference whispering that we had with uh, Glenn Drury. He originally had 3.76 of the uh, direct vote, and uh, the rest of it was all preferences. Yeah, Victoria needs to fix it up to match the... It really does. Well, he gave his introductory speech, and in it he called for regional Victoria to break away and create its own capital. If the people of Wodonga, Bendigo, Mildura, Wangaratta and Shepparton dictated the lives of Melburnians the way that you dictate our lives, there would be riots in the streets. What if we decided to regulate latte art patterns? The ultimate solution to this problem might be Rexit. The regions of New South Wales and Victoria separating from their city-based overlords and forming new states. Now, I am happy to nominate Wodonga as a brand new regional state capital, a place governed by people who actually know about the community they live in. Until we build a new parliament house on the banks of the Murray, we can convene in the Wodonga RSL. <laughs> like, just say Wodonga, it's like Wodonga RSL. Like, I know, I know. And he goes on and on about the totalitarian regime of Melbourne and the silly rules that we've created. Um, you know, that the that the, the people in country Victoria are forced to deal with as well. Do you have any examples? Speed limits. <laughs> he wants sensible speed limits. He wants sensible evidence-based gun laws that apparently include... Uh, Allowing semi-automatic weapons into Australia. Those are evidence-based. Um, he... uh, yeah. What if you're being attacked by a lot of pigs at the same time? <laughs> right. Um, and he's like, if you're from the big city, then you don't care about the region because it's all beyond the smashed avocado curtain. Well, what will you make your curtains out of? <laughs> Country Victorians are tired of being treated like children. Every law that comes out of the Victorian Parliament applies equally across the strait, but Victorians are not all the same. So often legislation is designed by and for people who would only ever have seen north of Coburg if they fell asleep on a tram. We will point out that the Co- the tram that goes to Coburg actually finishes in North Coburg. So, oh, as you found Melbourne people to know exactly, that. Exactly. So exactly. In the country, we don't need to know about where the trams go to go. And and he talks about you know well, how Coburg, he's knows? talking about how people in Northern Victoria don't care about getting lattes. And it's like, well, actually, I think they do because I've been to Northern Victoria. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they get lattes in Wodonga, yeah. Yeah, uh, but anyway, he's going to fight for the rights of car enthusiasts, for drug law reform, for sensible speed limits, for the end of prohibition. And everywhere that government steps on the rights of the individuals to choose, he will speak out. And then he ends his speech with, for each law and regulation, I ask you to take it into your hands and ask yourself, does this spark joy? If not, throw it out and let us live in peace. Somebody's been watching some Marie Kondo. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah, it's just just absolutely wild. Absolutely uh, we, wild. I, I don't know that his presence in the Victorian Parliament brings me pain. Joy, can we throw him out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially the 11 people on the crossbench that they need to convince at least some of them to vote with them to get stuff through. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, time time to reform the upper house. Um, he quotes Cromwell in his speech. Of course he does. Where, hang on. So where where would the border be in this? Well, it would, it would include state? both northern uh, Victoria, regional Victoria, and it would also include some of New South Wales. They're going to throw off their uh, their bloated city overlords, urban overlords. Okay, if they seized that territory, then all that would happen would be that one of the currently rural areas would urbanise and turn into a capital city. Yeah, well, like, Albury-Wodonga would then be the capital city. Yeah, which would then expand out, and in order for them to have any kind of standard of living, they would have to industrialise and they would have to create an inner urban environment in a slightly different place, like... If he wants to have to live in this world of uh, pure um, agrarian, uh, well, I was about to say agrarian socialism, but that's the Nats. If he wants to live in this world that's only small towns, uh, um, it's going to be very, very poor. Well, it is, but it's there's there's a couple other interesting things that he says, and he'll need rules to stop it urbanizing because oh, people but, will but they have urbanize. to be country rules. But they will naturally urbanise, and then over a generation or so, like it would then build back into a city. It's funny how how lack of a clue this man has, how clueless he is. City people want to send water down the Murray to evaporate in the lower lakes of South Australia, while with their irrigation rights removed, our own small country towns wither and die. Which is exactly what they complain about New South Wales doing, that New South Wales... Takes the water before we can get it anyway. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that most Victor- that many Victorian farmers would rather that there were less water was being pinched by giant freaking New South Wales mm. um, cotton farms. Like was it Cubby Station that's got as much taken as much water out as the entire Sydney Harbour? Yep, they want to ban hunting, a pastime with a sixty thousand year tradition in this country. Oh look, a call out to the indigenous and Aboriginal population of this country, which he probably doesn't respect at any other time. Oh no, but but um, the important thing is that one of the reasons why we we have to celebrate the uh, you know conquering of Australia was that Indigenous people were running around with semi-automatic weapons. Absolutely, hunting. like that was a, hunting. Hunting was very much like what he's talking about. And they want to put in new national parks decreed by city-based environmentalists who've never gotten their shoes dusty, and will lock country people out of our land and the livelihoods of farmers and timber workers and the hobbies of pro- pro- uh, prospectors and campers. What? But yeah. national park people. Hang on, campers. Campus camping national park. What are you talking about? I have no idea. He's he's just he's all over the place. He's what? a bit he's a bit wild. I, what, is he an old bloke? No, he's quite young. He's a mild mannered accountant. Is he, he is he forming his views by like going to the Wodonga RSL and just like writing down any sort of deranged drunk idea that somebody throws out? At, it does seem like that. On their way back from the pokies. But we apparently, you know, we Melbournians are trying to destroy the economies, culture, and way of life of regional Victorians. No, that's not us. That's the federal liberals destroying the NBN. Yes. Oh, I can oh, see how he's gotten gosh. confused. It no, is, no, we're the is. ones who actually wanted an NBN that would have actually helped regional uh, Australia develop. Oh, wow. What? Farmers don't need internet. Don't they? No, they just need good, honest guns. <laughs> we just send our messages by shooting them to the sky. Yeah, oh, God. Anyway, so Rex. What's that, darling? Bang, 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 bang. Really? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Bang, 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 bang. I'll get one out now. Bang. <laughs> so forget Brexit. We have Rexit. Oh, that's brilliant. 
I think that's probably the place to leave this week's episode. Uh, thank you, everybody, for coming back. Thank you, Denise. Thank you to our uh, children for facilitating the recording of the podcast in lots and lots of breaks. <laughs> um, thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers for supporting the podcast and keeping it going. If uh, that's if, if you like the podcast and would like to, to see it continue indefinitely, uh, your subscription via Patreon is very much appreciated and is how the podcast keeps going. Uh, if you could if you'd be interested in leaving us a five-star review on iTunes, that would also be appreciated. It's not called iTunes now, is it? It's called Apple Podcasts or something. I don't know, we're old school. It's iTunes. Get out of my backyard, Cloud. <laughs> That's right. Man yells at service that uses Cloud. Ah, well played. Otherwise, thank you for coming back. And uh, thank you, Alex Lum, for the artwork. Thank you, Robin Gray, for the music. And we will see you all next week. Have a good one. Goodbye. Goodbye.